Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. So good morning. Good morning again. You guys are ready? You guys ready for part two? We, uh, for this morning, we will continue with our series on the Gospel of John. Uh, we will try to work through the first eight verses in John chapter 17 for this morning. If you have been here for any amount of time, you know that I love John 17. It is my hands down absolute favorite chapter of the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, because I believe that it is the greatest prayer ever recorded, John 17. We have worked through uh, the greatest sermon that was ever given by Jesus, right? John 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus was giving the sermon to his disciples before he uh, left them, and now we get to look at the greatest prayer for the next three Sundays. And I love this chapter, and, and at the same time, I feel very inadequate to try to preach on John 17. This is the only recorded prayer of Jesus. And we read that Jesus will go off and uh, by himself to pray, and he will do that often. Jesus, but here, Jesus intentionally prayed out loud in front of his disciples, not in public for everyone else, but in front of his disciples. So in a way, in front of us, just so that we can hear, we can get an insight in terms of how he was praying and what he was praying for. So on the occasion when Jesus went off to pray by himself, it must have been more often than recorded in scriptures to lead his disciples to ask him to teach them how to pray. And we see that in Luke 11 and uh, Matthew chapter 6. It wasn't because the disciples didn't pray or they didn't know how to pray. Obviously, there were many people who were praying during that time, right? You, you have people praying in the synagogues. You have uh, prayers offered by the priests. You had um, Pharisees, people were praying. Religious leaders were praying. Teachers of the law were praying. So many people were praying. But what was curious that they asked Jesus in terms of how to pray. And I'm certain the disciples themselves also pray. So it's not like they didn't know how to pray. They were praying, but specifically they asked Jesus. Because, Jesus, we see you go and you pray often. Teach us how you pray, Jesus, not just what we think we should pray. So reading John 17 and hearing Jesus prayed gives us a deeper understanding of Jesus' answer to the disciples when they ask him to teach them how to pray. So repeating the Lord's Prayer, which is I think most of us are familiar with, right? Repeating the Lord's Prayer, if I may say this, is not how we pray. What is currently known as the Lord's Prayer, we find out in Luke 11 and Matthew 6, is only a guideline. It's only a guideline to how we should pray. Studying John 17, we get to see the, the Jesus prayer, how Jesus' prayer is applicable to that guideline. He's actually practically outworking that guideline. So very briefly on that guideline from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, I think we all very, uh, are very familiar with this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That is how our prayer should always start out. Our Heavenly Father, you are holy, your name is holy. Your kingdom is advancing. Your kingdom is coming and it is unstoppable. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done regardless of what I think, what I want, or what I need. My need is your will be done and your kingdom come, right? That's my need. Your, my want is to see that your will be done and your kingdom advancing. And my thoughts are to shape my life so it will align with your will and your kingdom. So essentially, Jesus was telling them that when they pray, they should not go any further until we truly understand and acknowledge and live out those first two verses. Right? We shouldn't just go on and, and get into this routine and get into this little tradition. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then give us our daily bread. No, we need to catch the heart of what that first two verses mean. So not only to say that, but we have to believe in that. Right? Because it's the same thing. We see that in Romans 10. Like to believe, to receive salvation is what? Declare with our mouth and believe in our heart. So this is, it's, that's something that we should do. Just because we say it doesn't mean that we're praying. So with that understanding, let's look at John 17 in terms of speaking it out and actually knowing and then believe what we are saying. And uh, let's look at John 17 and, and let's put this, the Lord's Prayer, into practice by Jesus so the commonly, the commonly known Lord's Prayer actually, I think, should be John 17. So keep that thought as we work through this together. Oh, one more thing before we start with John 17. So in John 13 through 16, Jesus was sharing, teaching. He was pouring out his heart as he knew the hour has come for him to physically leave them. Um, he gave us instructions on, on what to do, and he talked about how much he loves them, us, uh, he constantly kept saying, remember my teachings, right? Remain in me. Uh, everyone else, the world will hate you because of me and what I stand for. So remember that I love you when you feel down, alone, defeated, rejected, confused, lost. Because the last verse in John 16, and I, I want to go through this first before we jump to John 17, just to uh, a brief recap. And I know um, Ryan taught on this a few weeks ago. So John 16 verse 33. This is the last verse in John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. But take heart. I have overcome the world. But take heart. This is what Jesus ended his instruction. If I can say, ended his sermons with, to us, right, with an encouragement. I want to share a couple other translations to help us fully grasp this, uh, his encouragement. The Amplified Translation said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you will have tribulations and distress and suffering, but be courageous, as in be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. It's a reminder for us, right? All, all the Passion Translations and everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrow, but you must be courageous. For I have conquered the world. So that's a passion translation. There's an amplified translation. I feel sometimes it's good for us to read through uh, with a different translation to fully grasp what God is trying to tell us. So what he's trying to say is be courageous. You must be courageous, 
for I have overcome the world. I have conquered everything that you see. So remember that in all situations, in the challenges that we face, the obstacles that we face, the setbacks that we face, and there may be moments of unbelief, which I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in those moments. So in those moments of unbelief or setbacks, remember what Jesus just said in John 16, verse 33. So, keep, so let's go through um, John 17 together. After Jesus said this, he looked forward heaven, toward heaven, and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. That's an important key right here. That they, they know, that they know you, the only true God, and, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. The very first thing I want to point out is that John 17 speaks on the importance of prayer. Right? Jesus is someone that should be exempt from praying. If there is such a person in that position... However, it was the opposite. He prayed often, and he prayed all the time. He went off to be alone, right? He prayed often. This was the reason why he was able to know what the Father wants him to say or to do. So, again, we're stressing the importance of prayer. That's why we have corporate prayer every month. And I want to throw that out and invite you guys and come and pray with us. That's why we have pre-service prayer at 9.30. Come and join us in prayer. Prayer is one of the pillars and foundations, not only for us at Restoration, but should be for our lives as followers of Jesus. All right, so just a little bit on prayer. Uh, so when Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. The hour for this planned event has come. This was planned by God since before the formation of the universe. Wrap our minds around that. Right, this speaks to the absolutely incredible foresight of God's plan. Right, salvation for mankind has been planned by God before the creation of the universe. It boggles the human minds. I cannot even wrap my mind around that. Right, everything throughout history has been planned and known by God. Just like um, what Vanessa shared, and also what Cynthia said, it's, it's a time and a place and a season where God put us. It's all planned. It's all been set out by God. And everything has been planned, and they happened at the appropriate moment, right? The flood, Noah's ark, the call of Abraham during that time, during that season. Moses, when he led the Israelites into freedom, there was the right time for that. David, right? There's the right time when he was anointed king versus when he was anointed king in front of the whole nation of Israel, which is about roughly 15 years later. With this knowledge, trust in God's timing. Trust in his, in his sovereign wisdom. Right? We, we see this from Ecclesiastes 
3.1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Acts 17, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling places. Timing. Everything has been planned out by God. So trust in him. Trust in his timing. Speaking of timing, that is the most important element of the prophetic. And if I can share that with you, it's the most important element of the prophetic. For all of us, we can have a glimpse of the prophetic. We can have a glimpse of the future. We have a glimpse of the things that God has planned for us. But it's the timing of when those things will happen. That is the most, most important thing. That's what the prophetic means. Sometimes prophetic, you have a glimpse or have a picture. That's what it means. The prophetic is God has revealed certain things to us to allow us to know what would happen down the road. But however, when we see something happen, we must remain faithful in what God has for us in the current season. We must remain faithful in the current season to prepare ourselves so we can fully walk into the prophetic future that God has for us. He gave us a glimpse of the things that we're going to do. But we must prepare ourselves so when the time comes, we will be ready. Speaking of prepare, right? Prepare so that we can grow in our knowledge, grow in our revelation, grow in our wisdom, grow in our faith, grow in our confidence and our security of who we are in Christ. An example is we, we talked about this. David, he was anointed king. I think we all know this, right? In, in, his, uh, in front of his family only in front of his family when he was roughly 15 years old. But he wasn't actually anointed as king in front of the nation of Israel until he was about 30 years old. So it's a long time. He knew that he was going to be king. So that's in a way like a prophetic vision, a sense of what's going to happen. In this case, it's not a vision. It actually happened. But he had to prepare himself for the time when he will become king. So it's the same thing. It's just, just a step aside for us. For those of you, sometimes you see sense, you have a sense of what's going to happen. It's the timing. So the best way to know when the timing is to prepare ourselves for the current season and be faithful in the current season. So when Jesus said the hour has come, the time for Jesus to pay for our sins, of, for the sins of all mankind has come. We also see in verse 1 that Jesus prayed to the Father for himself, right? He prayed for the Father to glorify the Son so the Son can glorify the Father. What is glorify? You know, sometimes we use that term so often, we may lose the meaning and the deep impactfulness of what it means, right? To glorify means to praise, to celebrate, to hold in honor, to magnify or to cause dignity and the worth of some person to become manifested in knowledge and, and, and acknowledged. So Jesus asked to be glorified so he can bring glory to the Father. His ultimate goal is to glorify the Father. This is a very, very important distinction because a lot of time we, we want to be glorified. Like, God, glorify me so I can get this job. Then I will bring glory to you. But sometimes... The priority is the job, right? Father, give me this relationship, and then I'll glorify you. But sometimes the priority is the relationship. To Jesus, is to glorify the Father, as in he's asking to be glorified so he can complete the task that was given to him. He didn't ask it to make it easy. He's asking to be glorified so 
people everywhere will see that the Father has sent him for all of mankind. So it is our Father will be glorified. That is his end goal. And the reason why Jesus can say that because he's been, he asked for, to be glorified because he has been absolutely and completely obedient to our Father. We're going through John, and we see this all the time, right? In John 5, Jesus said, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father is doing. And in John 12, he said, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded to say all that I have spoken. In John 14, it's like, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. I only speak because the Father who's living in me is doing his work. So, as we look at that verse and we tie it in with verse 4, it is the reason for why Jesus asked our Father to glorify him, right? I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. He only asked to be glorified so he can finish the work that our Father has asked him to do. And Jesus did only what God told him to do. Jesus said only what God told him to say. This is how Jesus brought glory to the Father while he was on earth. Right? Jesus knew the reason for him to be sent by our Heavenly Father on earth, which is what? To save mankind. Jesus stayed the course regardless of, of the betrayal and the unbelief and the insult which is coming up soon, and the threats, and actually dying on the cross. And number three, Jesus finished the task. He's asking for the Father to glorify him so he can finish the task. So people can see that our Father has sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, pay for our sins. So that's a blueprint for all of us, corporately and individually, in order to glorify Jesus. Sometimes you hear the term, but for us, our vision is to glorify Jesus everywhere. Right? Well, what does that really mean? So by looking at the example of Jesus, that's what it means, is to know what God has called us into. That's number one. Faithfully walk into it and stay the course. And number three, finish the task. That is how we can bring glory to Jesus. That's what we're called to do at Restoration, but I want to encourage each and every one of us. That is also what we're called to do also. Is that, how, that is how we can glorify Jesus in our individual lives is to know what God is calling us into. You know, he has a plan and a purpose for us. We need to come to God and ask for what it is. If we don't know what it is, we don't know where to go. We wouldn't know what to do. We need to know where we're going. Then we can figure out what to do. And then we can ask to be glorified so we can finish the task. So when we have this understanding, it is easy to see why God the Father has given Jesus authority over all people. Right? We see that in verse 2. And authority to grant eternal life even in verse 2. And as we can learn from Jesus' example, is the more actively obedient we are to God, which we see that Jesus is doing, stay in tune with his will, the more he will entrust us with privilege, with favor, with gifting to lead his people, which is what? Also to, to uh, yeah, make influence in our circles of influence. Did I say that correct? To, to impact the people in our circles of influence in advancing his kingdom. So if we look at the example of what Jesus is doing, just these few verses in, the, in his prayer to God, he's saying, because I am completely obedient to you, active obedient, not just sit back and don't say anything, but actually walking out, following through, pursuing and completing the task that you have given me to do. Then the Father will glorify Jesus. So that's how we can glorify Jesus as we actively obedient God. 
He will pull out his blessing. He will pull out his favor. That's how Jesus will glorify us, if I can say that humbly. And then we will grow in our gifting, just like what Vanessa said. That's the prophetic word for us. It's as we are actively obedient to Jesus. Do what he tells us to do. Have the courage to do what he tells us to do. We will grow in our gifting. Grow in our revelation of Jesus. Grow in our strength and our muscle. And grow in our reliance on Jesus. And then he will pull out his gifting. Pull out his favor. I I know I keep saying that over and over again. So let's move on. Uh, Verse 3. Now this is eternal life. That they know the one true living God and Jesus Christ. That's amazing, right? Jesus didn't sneak that in there. It was intentional. Know the one true living God and Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. To know God and to know Jesus Christ. When people say that they believe there is a God, and I'm sure you have and I have encountered many, many people. say, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't really know what he's like. I know there is a God. That is true. There is a God. But, But many people are willing to say that, but they're not willing to say Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. When you believe in God doesn't mean that you will receive eternal life. When we believe in God and don't believe in Jesus is our Savior, he paid for our sins, that means the unwillingness to accept Jesus is the unwillingness to admit that he is our Savior. When we do that, we cannot have eternal life because eternal life is to believe in God and Jesus Christ. And to know God and to know Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. To know the living God and to know Jesus Christ. So to know only God without Jesus, I can say this because I used to be like this. Yeah, maybe there is a God, but Jesus, I don't know. I don't know about that. But when you think, when we, I shouldn't say you, when we think like that, we look at God from our perspective And we see if there is a God that created the universe and the all-amazing God. All we know is comparing to the amazing God, there's fear and trembling and unworthiness. Unworthiness. Because we look at things from our perspective in relation to the perfect God, right? But if we know God and know Jesus Christ, we will look at things from God's perspective. Because Knowing God and know Jesus Christ, knowing that our Father sent Jesus Christ to die for us, then we realize he loves us. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Then we realize, oh, that's amazing. We get to see things from God's perspective, like God loves me. He loves me so much. I am worth it for him to die on the cross. It's amazing, isn't it? Then we can find our security in Christ. We can find our worthiness. So seeing things from God's perspective, we need to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Then we can know about, about his love and his sacrifice and his sovereign plan for us, and we can trust in him to go where we need to go, we'll go where he called us to go. So anyway, I want to move on to the next verse because in verse 5, it said, the glory that I had with you before the world began. It's a reminder of who Jesus is. We go back to the beginning of John 1, right? So a lot of time I know we may memorize or remember this, John 1. But what is John 1? If you can substitute the, 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 what you see in the beginning was the word, if you can substitute that to Jesus, we know that's what it should be. But that's what we should substitute it with. In the, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. 
Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's in John 1, verse 1 and 2. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's how we should read John and recognize that Jesus was with God since the beginning. And I want to quickly, um, I want to quickly sum up verse 6 and verse, um, through verse 8 because these verses are amazing because they speak to God's viewpoint and his belief in us. Right? We talked about knowing God and knowing Jesus. So when we know God and we know Jesus, then we actually recognize what Jesus sees and what he thinks about us. Verses 6 through 8 speak of his viewpoint and his belief in us. We see a glimpse of this. Even though we know now and God knew then, the disciples will abandon him just in a few hours. I think we all know that, right? I hope we all know that. In a few hours, all the disciples will run off. All the disciples will desert him. One even will say that, no, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus Christ. I'm not one of his people. Like within hours, Jesus knew that they would say this. If we look at this, and I, I, maybe I just speak for myself, I would categorize these disciples as, you guys are a bunch of weak, unstable, unreliable servants. But Jesus felt differently. Jesus felt differently because he spoke so highly of his disciples. That means he spoke so highly of us because how he sees us is not the same as how we see ourselves. He saw them for what they would become. He spoke life into the people that they will be, right? Because within a few hours, they will desert him and run and hide and neglect him and, and, and say that they don't know him. But he knew down the road they would all die for him. That's what he said. He didn't say that, yeah, these guys are weak, but Holy Spirit, just strengthen them. That's not what he said. He, what he saw in them is what he sees in us, in his disciples, that what we don't see in ourselves or believe in ourselves or in each other, right? Because what Jesus said, he said, they believe in you. They were certain that you sent me. They have received my word. Like, those are like very absolute certainty that Jesus was speaking of his disciples, even though he knew in a few hours, they wouldn't say any of those things. But he was speaking life into where they would become and who they would be. So that's why it's important for us to actually not only know God, but also to know Jesus Christ so we can see his heart, see his viewpoint. He was speaking gold. He was speaking life into those people, regardless of what they have done or the, what they will do in a few hours. So with that knowledge, trust in him. We are worth it to God, right? He sees us. He sees his disciples. He didn't die for us because he knew that they were going to run away. He died for us because he knew eventually they would die to the very end. They, they would die for him. They would die for Jesus. Oh, I got so passionate about this. I don't know what I'm doing right now. I lost track of my notes. But God knows what we are able or not able to do, but he still spoke life into that. And he prayed that the disciples will become those people that he's speaking about in, from verse 6 through 8. So it is true that we will not be able to do much on our own. It is because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit, which was sent by Jesus to work in us and through us. So that's what we need to remember and always keep in mind that knowing Jesus, meaning we have the Holy Spirit, we need to let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us. 
If we ignore the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to do much. But when we have the Holy Spirit within us, that's when we will grow in our strength. Just like the prophetic vision that came through. That's how we grow in our, 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 our gifting, grow in our wisdom, grow in our faith, grow in our perseverance. Like, God, I know this is what you're calling me to do. Even though everything else doesn't look like it's what I should be. But because I believe in you, I will pursue and walk, walk down this path. So I, I want to encourage everyone to read through verse 6 through 8 again. With the knowledge of what the disciples will do in a few hours. With that knowledge, Jesus knew that. But what he spoke about them, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that, that what the disciples would do. So I want to bring the sermon to an end by sharing the three points that we can draw from this passage. It's number one, follow Jesus' example of being in relationship with God the Father. As followers of Jesus, we must follow his example. It's not an option. Follow his examples of being in relationship with God the Father, meaning being obedient, right? Being obedient to God. Say what he would only um, tell us to say. Do what Jesus called us to do and persevere and stay the course. That's how we can follow his example because that's what Jesus did. So when we are staying in relationship with Jesus, we can do the same thing. Secondly is follow Jesus' example of always bringing glory to the Father in all that he did. When we, so what we to do is to always give glory to Jesus. We will receive blessing and favor from Jesus. That is, so as you can see, like the Father gave Jesus the glory so Jesus can do what the Father called him to do. We will give Jesus the glory when we do what Jesus called us to do. We will receive glory from Jesus. And thirdly, is follow Jesus' viewpoint of ourselves. Is seeing the gold in people. Right? Jesus used terms like, they have obeyed me, they have accepted it, there was certainty, they believe in me. That's what Jesus was saying. So our, for us, seeing God's viewpoint about ourselves. Because there are times when we feel like we're not able, right? There are times when we feel like, no one likes us. There are times when we may feel like, well, I'm not confident, or I'm not cut out for this, or I shouldn't be doing this. But look at ourselves from God's viewpoint. How God sees us and how we see ourselves are two very different things. So follow his example of how he sees us. So again, there's three things. Follow Jesus' example of being in relationship with the Father. So for us, being in relationship with Jesus. Follow Jesus' example of always bringing glory to the Father. Always bring glory to Jesus in everything that we do. And follow his example of how he looked at us. Is how we should look at ourselves. That's how we can gain confidence. That's how we can fully walk into all that God has for us. So hearing Jesus pray is one more reason for us, at least for me, is to be thankful to our amazing Savior, his obedience to the end. Because if I can say this, right, if I was leading a group of people and I know within a few hours they all would desert me, I don't know if I can say those things. Like, oh, these guys are amazing. They believe in me. They support me. They got my backs. Even though within a few hours. But because of who Jesus is, 
That's how amazing he is. That's why I'm thankful for him. That's why we, we want to be, remain obedient to him to the very end. Because that's what Jesus did, to the very end. And I'm thankful for Jesus, and I'm thankful for that. He remained obedient to the end because now we have eternal life. Through his death on the cross, we have salvation. Not only us, but the next generations and the generation after. My children can have eternal life. I can be with them forever. They may not want to be with me forever, but I will be with them forever. Mankind can gain eternal life through all that. So that's, um, that's what we have for this passage. And I want to encourage you guys to go back and read through those verses again and read through that with the understanding and the knowledge of what he knows and what would happen in a few hours. But also, let's look at it from how God sees us and his belief in us. And he's continuing pouring out his love and his blessing over us because he wants us to do well because we are worth it. Would you die on the cross for someone that you didn't think that was worth it? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would say no, right? I would say no. But God thinks that we're worth it. So let's think that for ourselves. Amen? Okay, all right, I'm going to pray for us. So why don't we, um, why don't we stand up? I know you've been sitting, so let's, uh, sitting, so let's stand up. Stretch our legs a little bit. I would love to uh, pray over everyone. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for you, God. Just thank you for who you are, Lord. Just thank you for what you are doing, what you're doing right now, what you're going to do later today, what you're going to do in the week, what you're going to do in the month, or what you're going to do in the years to come. We're so thankful for you, Lord Jesus. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord, so we can be even more obedient to you. Grow in our trust in you, God. Grow in our obedience in you, God. Grow in our faith in you, Lord. And just like Vanessa shared, just grow. Grow in our ability to walk through what you have called us to do. Just to persevere and push through and remain steadfast. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that just give us the strength to follow your example, Jesus, of continuing, continually being obedient to you, remain in relationship with you, trust in you, and persevere through what you have called us to do. We love you, and we pray to all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. 